Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gig Impressing, the Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Feit. Yeah, and at this point, I would bring in Stefan Bienkowski, but Stefan is busy on his stack do, not available this week, and um, didn't really want to do this on my own. So I brought back someone who hasn't been on the show in a while, is a founding member of the show, though, and I'm really excited to have him on, Chris Williams. Chris, buddy, how's it going? Manu, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a year. It's been a very quick year. I mean, it seems so long ago since I've done this, but it also seems like yesterday as well. So I'm looking forward to being back and yeah, spouting a load of useless opinions at people. <laughs> and you're back writing about Bundesliga, which is great to see. I'm very excited. Where can people find your work these days? Yeah, so you can still find my work. I'll link it on my uh, Twitter site which is, or on my Twitter handle, which is Chris78Williams. But yeah, I've now got a season-long um, collaboration with FootMob, the uh, the app. So yeah, writing now Bundesliga column um, and, and really looking into detail about players and, and clubs and managers and, and how they're working and, and what data's behind the clubs. And you know me, man, I'm not a slave to data. I like to mix mm. data with my eyes as well. So hoping that I can pacify everybody fantastic stuff yeah uh definitely a really good app as well and um, really worthwhile checking out um we have a lot to discuss so let's jump right into it after this short break this episode of the gig pressing podcast is brought to you at bet online bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wage on all your favorite sports contests and events the first to market odds and lines find reviews and news for every league including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that is B-L-E-A-V-5-0, BLEAVE50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on our first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So yeah, Chris, um, let's get started with the Friday game. I know Borussia Dortmund is the club closest to your heart when it comes to Bundesliga football. Um, so I'm going to start right there. The Friday fixture, Freiburg, not so surprising, made it really difficult for them, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I mean... <laughs> It's no surprise to me that even though I haven't done this podcast for a year, we're still talking about how difficult Freiburger place is to mm. go and get a result. Um, and yeah, the first half, it looked like Dortmund potentially might have a problem. And Freiburg have always punched above their weight. For me, I, I've said this before in the past many times, I genuinely think that they're the best side in the league. And obviously, I don't mean by playing style and, and what they achieve. I think they're the best side in the league because of the limited budget they've got, the limited facilities they've got, and how they repeatedly 
punch above the weight, as I've already said. So for that makes them the standout side for me in the league because of what they achieve every single season. They should be relegation battlers, but they're not. They're normally knocking on a door for European slot. I find that incredible. So yeah, it's always a, a really tough place to go. Christian Strikes, brilliant coach, seems to lose players left, right and centre. They move on. You know, as he lost the defender in the closed season, um, it just just always manages to fill that gap, be it with academy or they purchase really, really well from teams around them or just below or from a, across Europe and, and wider. They just seem to have oh, great scouting network, great coach, great new stadium, tough place to go, brilliant club. That stadium is amazing. They having seen it now for the first time, really fallen. They had some really good shots on. Um, on on the broadcast where they showed it from the top. It's just a stunning facility, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to going there. Yeah. Most because the last time I went to Freiburg, there's just a post in the way, the press box. You can't <laughs> see about 10 yards of the pitch and you're having to break your neck to have a look around it and, and that, that won't be there anymore. But yeah, it, lovely new stadium, brilliant old stadium. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to, to Freiburg. No. It's a beautiful part of the country. 100% in Grigoric's goal to open it in the 35th minute. Um, it took until, uh, the Germans have this wonderful term for it, Flatterball, you know, a ball that just like flows in the air and like changes direction. And um, yeah, poor, poor Flecken um, couldn't handle it and went in the in, in the net when Bino Gittens the score, the young Englishman. We've seen this, of course, before with, Dortmund bringing in a young Englishman to sort of um, fix problems from them again from Man City, right? He's he's an ex- extremely well um, like talent in in Dortmund, and it seems like you know he could be that guy that could really open you know a can opener for them. Um, a little bit lucky for them, and then Mukuku, of course, with the with a stunning goal to make it two um, one for Dortmund, and then finally Wolf, which I actually thought was probably the nicest of the bunch. Um, to make it 3-1. But Freiburg weren't exactly happy about that third goal, Chris, because uh, I think it was Mukuku who was right in front of Lekin to to take his view. And we have had some inconsistent refereeing in the Bundesliga already this season. It's only two match days in. And how do you see the difference between, let's say, this goal? And remember, we chatted about this quite a bit last week uh, on our Bundesliga chat. And the, the goal that uh, Rodrigo Salazar scored for Schalke which I personally thought was a good goal against Köln. So why why did the referee adjust adjudge that Mukuku wasn't offside, whereas the, the Salazar goal was offside? Or is this yeah. just an inconsistent refereeing issue? It, it, it's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, for anyone who has joined your uh, listenership since I've left, they may not be aware that I'm actually a qualified referee and I do referee uh, weekly in the mm. UK. So I referee on a Wednesday and a Saturday. Um, I've just been accepted for promotion again, second season on a bounce. Give myself a little bit of a pat on the back there. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so that's why I've got a vested interest in laws of the game. Um, And what I try and do is I try and explain it from a referee's point of view. I'll never say that a referee's wrong, especially an elite referee, because Mm. I am not at that level um, to to criticise a referee. But I can see why things are and why things aren't given under the laws of the game. Okay, so... The third goal for Dortmund, interfering with the goalkeeper's um, sight and and view, it's not black and white, unfortunately. 
you would think it would be offside's an absolute supposedly you're either mm-hmm. offside or you're not you know it's like are you pregnant you can't be a little bit pregnant you're either pregnant or you're not so that's what offside should be but because of how complex a game is there's all sorts of subjectiveness in there so if you are blocking the line of the sight of the goalkeeper theoretically you should be offside but other things are brought into it so what's the distance from um, the strike to where the goalkeeper is. Is there a bit of distance in it? Has the goalkeeper got enough time to see the ball on the way in? Um, are they having to look round a player or can they see over the top? Um, mm. There's all sorts of different nuances. And the one thing that this brings into offside is it makes it subjective. So what I might think is offside because he's interfering with play uh, or interfering with the line sight of the goalkeeper. Someone else might not think that. And that's where it becomes real, a real problem and a bugbear. Um, because if you if it, the the laws of the game say in the opinion of a referee, so if the referee thinks actually, I think the ball there it's had to travel twenty yards to go to goal. Mm. Goalkeepers had enough sight before it's been hit. I don't think that Mukoko's interfering with, with play there is interfering with his sight. It's a goal, um, and another referee might think differently. So that's where the issue comes. Um, mm. So I mean, we we see that not just in um, in the Bundesliga, but we see it across leagues every single weekday across Europe, yeah. but it happens. Um happened in the Premier League on Sunday as well. And people are asking a question. If you take it back to the Schalke game at Cologne, um, I mean, that is a really big call. It should have been the opening goal um, at a game. that The strike is from outside the box. Um, the keeper is sighted, and it also takes a deflection and goes top corner. For, for me, if I'm reviewing that um, on screen, which the referee did, I'm giving that as a goal um, because I think the keeper's got enough uh, line of sight from that because it's mm. struck from the edge of the box. It also takes a deflection. Two goalkeepers weren't saving that had they been able to see it. And on the line, yeah. it literally goes in the top corner. You couldn't have put it better with your hand if you placed it. Um, so for me, that that was a, a, a decent goal chalked off. Um, interesting to see, though, that Germany will go to the screen, pitch side review for an absolute decision offside. Offside, as I say, is supposed to be absolute. So the VAR can yeah. make that. Um but because it was such a, a big moment in the game, opening goal, referee went to the screen to have a look at it um, and, and judged it to be offside and disallowed it. A big call. Um, I'm not going to say it's wrong because I can understand why he's given it. Um, I'm just going to say that I, I would have done it slightly differently. Why is it that, I find this curious, why do you think VR made the call to the refereeing team in that Köln-Schalke game but didn't make the call for... The Dortmund for the Freiburg Dortmund game, yeah, and I, I actually thought that, that in the, the Freiburg Dortmund game, and I mean this is a neutral, but Mukuku is almost in the goalkeeper. I mean he touches him. Why do you think VR decided in this point to not page the, the referee on the field? Yeah, so the, the sending to the sending the referee to the screen on the side of the pitch is an unusual decision for an offside. Right because you're either offside or you're not in the mm. VAR protocol from the international football association board, which is a, a worldwide protocol, every league should adhere to it. Um, the VAR can make the decision on their own for absolutes. So for instance, are you offside? Yes or no. That's under the control of the VAR. It can be uh, just like an assistant is. So if an assistant raises his flag, the referee gives offside, never gets overruled in elite football. Um, so it's just another assistant the VAR is just another assistant referee that's the A and the R um, so they're allowed to do that I think what happened in the Schalke game or the Cologne game uh, Schalke at Cologne mm. was that the VAR wasn't 100% sure 
So he got the option to send the referee to the screen. Um, obviously, we don't get the audio, so we don't know. But I can imagine that conversation between VAR and the referee for the Cologne-Schalke game was, he looks like he could be in a position interfering with play, but it takes a deflection. I'm not 100% sure. Do you want to go and have a look? Um, and then mm. the referee's obviously gone, I'll tell you what, I'll go and have a look because it's a crucial, opening goal is a crucial time for any game. It can change the game dramatically. Um, so the referee's gone to the side. It helps to sell the decision to the players because now both the Schalke and the Cologne players are knowing, oh, okay, the referee's going to make the decision. Mm. The guy in charge of the game's going to make the decision, not somebody sat in a bunker five, six miles away. Um, so that's why I think that was done. But as an assistant, which is a video assistant referee, they don't have to send the referee to the screen for an absolute and offside. So they can make yeah. that call themselves. So he's obviously gone, the, the VAR's gone, for me, he's not in line. It's a, it's a clean goal. And the referee's gone, okay, that you're, you can make that decision. Hmm. But yeah, it just I, opens I, up another level of subjectivity, doesn't it? And, and I do get yeah. it. Fans will go, um, Freiburg, Freiburg fans will go, why didn't we get that option? it's because it doesn't have to be given. Um, and that doesn't implicate everybody because there's a lot of people that will say Mukoko is in an offside position and he's definitely interfering. And those people will go, he's in an offside position because of the length of the shot, the keeper's got time to react to it and look around it. And that's where the big difference comes from. You, I do like VAR, um, mm. cert, certain points of it, but it adds a level, another level of subjectivity onto an already subjective game. Um, and that's where I think we get issues. Yeah. I think that's that's the issue I have with it too, right? It's, and also, I, have, I think that the problem is too that it, for a lot of people, it doesn't feel consistent, right? Yeah. And I think that's always a big issue. That's what it is. If you like, I mean, we all just lived through uh, two years of COVID restrictions. So like, let's make it relatable to this. If restrictions are not consistent and they don't make sense, people will be complaining about them. And I think this is what people, the same issue that people have with VAR at times, yeah. or maybe refereeing in general. Yeah, it is. And it's because the games are so high profile and because they generate a lot of passion in people. People are obviously a lot of invested in it. Mm. Um, and it doesn't help by colleagues of ours in the media who give out duff information because they're not 100% au fait with the laws of the game. Um, and then that gets taken as gospel truth by people um, who maybe should be told a little bit more Um but yeah, I can I see it week in, week out. I see it in my own game when I referee myself. I'll give a foul for something and then maybe I don't give a foul for a similar thing because it's not quite mm -hmm. at the right threshold that particular time. And yeah, players get um players and fans get um get frustrated. And I can see it why. There's plenty of times where we've seen, you know, red card, yellow cards upgraded to red cards, yeah. and then we've seen a pretty similar incident in speed and ferocity and brutality not be upgraded. And all of a sudden, fans are saying, well, why did that happen to, and why did Bayern get away with that? Or why did Dortmund get away with it? But someone like Freiburg don't. And people will see at every league you go to, be it the Bundesliga, La Liga, um, you know, League and the Premier League, people will always say there's a top two, three, four, five, six bias. Um, referees are afraid to make big calls against big teams. I don't think it's that. I just think that if you're a really good attacking team like Dortmund are, like Bayern are, you're mm -hmm. going to get more controversial-ish decisions because you attack a lot more. It's, I mean, this is also where I guess things like the referee has to read the game. It's almost becomes like, this is why fouls are not always the same 
I mean, yeah, subjectively there should be, but I guess this is when you have, if you're in the game situation as the referee in charge on the pitch and you see a game develop, and I think the world-class referees have the ability to read a game and say, okay, well, because of the way this game is going, this is this is an offense and this isn't. Is this this is the right interpretation that I have here? Yeah, it is. So people aren't going to like this, but if a game is getting feisty and high-tempered, you will see the referee get more um, pedantic about fouls because it right. gives an option to just calm the game down for a second. So if you've had a particularly fierce first 45 minutes and it's teetering on the edge of a kickoff, you'll find that when the game restarts, there'll be a clamp down. You might get an early yellow card or fouls that weren't being given previous 45 minutes all of a sudden start getting given because the referee wants to mm. get control of the game stamp his, his or her authority over it. That's not to say they want to make it all about them. Because as we know with games, if they get feisty and they get a little bit temperamental and passions get raised and you don't clamp down on it, around about 55, 60 minutes, you, there's a leg break, a tackle goes in. And that's what a referee's there for, to look after player safety. And sometimes you just need to be a little bit pedantic and calm the game down. That doesn't mean take the passion out of it. That just means take the fiery temper out of it and let it be played at a high level, which is what most games are anyway. Very rarely mm. does that step in. I think the only time you need it for high-level derbies, Dortmund-Schalke or Schalke-Dortmund, wherever it's been played, is a classic one for that. It, it's, it starts a, a nice tempo and then someone scores or someone doesn't score or someone feels injustice. The tackles keep flying in and then a referee will stamp down on it and try and just bring it down a level. Don't want to bring it to a nice little passing game where no yeah. one's going to you know, put a tackle in. Don't want that. We want a high-passing game, but we want it fair. If you feel that the game's going out of that into a scrappy environment where tackles are flying in, just use your whistle and your cards to bring it down a level and get it back to that high-tempo good attacking football that we want to see not you know players scrapping with each other this is a really uh refereeing heavy episode which is i think is great because um i think this this is this is something that we don't often have on the show and so i'm gonna bring you to the next controversial <laughs> game that we have on the agenda here and that's what that was leipzig against Köln, which i actually thought was was a very good game as well and very high tempo i think Köln um, looked very good early on the season and might I think, surprise a few people as well. This is, of course, also the game that um, Timo Werner's first comeback, he scores scores a goal. Um, clever from him. You can't be offside if you score from 30 meters out, right? And yeah. the goalkeeper giving you an assist as well. Um, I yeah, think, I mean, and I think we all love the Bundesliga, but I think Schwaber has, has had a nightmare there and has not done the DFL any favours, has he? Timo Werner couldn't buy a goal at Chelsea, comes back, smashes one, and it's a good shot, smashes it from 30 metres and he fumbles it in. And that's not, you know, specific to the Bundesliga. I think David De Gea threw one in over the weekend mm. in the Premier League. So there's no, like, you know, Bundesliga tax, in inverted commas. It happens in every single league across the world. Goalkeepers make an error. It's just unfortunate <laughs> that Werner's real best shot, it goes in from 30 yards, yeah. But it's nice to see him back, Manu, and nice to see him scoring. Yeah, and I think he's really happy to be back too. I think he's he's taking a huge pay cut to come back, right? As a, a transfer that I cover quite closely. And, um, you know, he's definitely on a lot less money now than he was when he was with with Chelsea. And I think for Leipzig too, this is a, this is a pretty good deal um, overall. I, and I, I think th he will look back on that adventure as something he had to do for himself. Yeah. 
but it was really the wrong thing to do. He went to the wrong club at the wrong time. Um, mm. I think had he gone to Bayern or had he gone to Liverpool, I think the style of football would have suited him a lot better than it would have done um, at Chelsea. And I, and I don't think Thomas Tuchel liked him at all. It's unfortunate yeah. for him. But he's back in a familiar environment. He's back you know, in a familiar setting. Um, and... and yeah, he's not been gone that long, so he's eased himself back in, playing under a different manager, obviously Tedesco's different style of football than probably what we were used to under Hassan Huttle, etc. But um, yeah, good to see him back. Really good to see him back. Well, also you have to remember he did win the Champions League with Chelsea. Yeah, and that <laughs> he will he will be happy for that. And yeah. if, if you want, I mean, that is up there, isn't it? For every player they yeah. want to win a Champions League, they want to win a Champions League, your domestic title and a World Cup. They they your three big ones. Or if you're from South America, you want to win a Champions League equivalent or, or probably from Africa and Asia as well. Mm-hmm. It's the pinnacle tournament for a club player. Um, but yeah, it's it was it, it was a mistake, I think, for him to to go to go in the end. Yeah, I think it just wasn't a fit. And I mean, we we talked about this quite a bit last week, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But you look at the history of Chelsea strikers in general, and there's not many that have worked out. Um, So, yeah, maybe Timo Werner just needed to be in an environment like Leipzig. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I thought it was really interesting to to see him play together with Nkunku. Uh, Nkunku, of course, the other player who scored for, for Leipzig. At this point, though... Leipzig were down a man. And um, this is a situation that caused quite a lot of heated debate um, on Twitter. You and I were pretty much quickly in agreement that we thought this red card was too harsh. Now, the DFB have uh, come down with their verdict that he would be missing two games. And you said to me, and I thought this was really interesting, that that says quite a bit about what the refereeing team thinks the refereeing or the refereeing bosses think about the decision on the field. Yeah. So normally for violent conduct across the top leagues in Europe um, and pretty much the world, really for violent conduct or serious foul play, it's a three games, a three match ban immediate. Um, You get a two match ban for uh, red card descent. So if you tell a referee to, you know, go away impolitely, uh, you get sent off for it. You'll you'll get a two game ban Um, and you normally get a one game, uh, ban for picking up two yellow cards in the, in the same match. Um, so for the DFB Sports Court to say um, he would only have a two-match ban um, for violent conduct, it, it, it's quite rare. I, I think it brings back to the point that you, know, you were making then, and, and I think that you and I are in agreement that, yes, he does bring his arm up, and arm his arm does make contact um, with the head or face uh, of the opposition mm. player. Um, but the law says that the force, if it's negligible, it's a yellow card. Um, I think the referee could have given it either way. I completely understand the arms raised and it's pushed backwards, but red card, if you want to sell it as that, I'll happily take that. But for me, at the very top level of the game, you intent is taken away from it. So we can't look at, did he mean to hurt him? Doesn't matter, that was taken out years ago. It's what has he done? He has raised his arm and he has pushed it backwards. But in the law is that key phrase, negligible force. If it's got negligible force, it's a yellow card. Like at halftime, if you came up to me and you said something I didn't quite like, and I just put my hand on your face and pushed it very gently, as in, you know, go away, that in the laws of the game is negligible force. Um, It's a yellow card. Um, But if I was sent off for it, 
you know, people say, well, there's a hand to the face. There's got to be the right amount of the wrong amount, if you want to call it a force. It's, it's, it's got to be, it's got to live up to the phrase violent conduct, a, a small push or, you know, a, an arm just to go away. Um, isn't really violent conduct for me. It's uh, it's yeah. unsporting behavior, and that's why it gets downgraded to yellow. But um, I can see why it's it's being given. But yeah, for for a violent conduct to be reduced to two games from three would say to me that the sports court have looked at it and thought, okay, whilst we agree why the referee sent him off, we don't maybe think it's as harsh as as a three game ban. So we'll reduce it to two, or we'll just give yeah. it two. Um, I'd, I'd say it's a nice way of of keeping everybody happy, um, but you know that won't keep you know it won't keep fans of Leipzig happy. It won't keep um, Slobber's eye happy, um, and because he's going to miss two games when you know maybe he should have just got a yellow card and and a stern warning from the referee that you know mm. how close it was to a red. Um, but yeah, you can't please everyone all the time. You're not you know as referees constantly say, Manu, if you want a friend, buy a dog. <laughs> yeah that's that's a good one i'm gonna remember that um i just i just think it's also telling that leipzig essentially said yeah we're gonna accept that they're not challenging it either right and i i think when you when you read between the lines it's also um a little bit of a on on leipzig's case a well Dominic, you should be playing. You, a, you should be smarter here, and B, you haven't really exactly been outstanding for us this year either. So we're going to be quite okay accepting this two-match ban and just have someone else playing in your role. Um, you need to be smarter further down the road, and you need to be better. Um, yeah. I think it's you know like sometimes clubs do this, right? I mean, this yeah, is yeah, all part of the game. Yeah, they do, um, and you'll see managers do it after um, you know after a match if. If they get a handball penalty goes against them, they will say, if they don't agree with it, they will still say he probably was in the wrong for doing that. The laws of the game say, you know, if you raise your hand or you have it outside your natural silhouette, you take the risk of the referee penalizing you with a penalty. Um, You know, it's it's not it's not it's a subjective decision and managers will, will quite often chastise their own players in, in press conference and say, well, you shouldn't be take, he shouldn't be making that movement with his arm mm. in that particular instance. And I think Leipzig will probably go whilst they don't agree with it. He's stupid for doing it. Yeah. Don't More give the ref, don't, don't give, I say it every week, man. And I have to say it two yeah. or three times, especially on a corner where players are grappling. Don't give me a decision to make. Yeah. I mean that's and that's 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 when we talk about football intelligence, right? Yeah. I mean I think this is one of those aspects that really come into into this is that uh, and this, this I often say this like more than one thing can be true. Like he I don't think he deserved the red card for it, but I also think he's an idiot for making that movement there. Yeah. And this is one of those instances where more than one thing can be true. It's like he deserve he didn't deserve a necessary red card by the laws of the game, but he also deserved the red card for, quite frankly, being an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> like, and obviously he can't send some off for being an idiot, but if you if you raise your arm and you move it backwards instead of facing an yeah. opponent, you run the risk of the referee thinking it's violent conduct. Whether yeah, you meant exactly. it or not is irrelevant. It's what you've done. And one referee might see it as negligible force, yellow card. One referee mm. might see it as violent conduct, red card. If you do the action, you take the risk. Don't give the referee a decision to make. There's no need. 
I know he's had his shirt pulled, but there's no need for him to take the to take. He doesn't need to become um, the referee, and he doesn't need to become the referee in that part and be like, right, you pulled my shirt, you're going to get it, pal. That's for the referee to deal with. I think the mm-hmm. side option on that manner is that there was no card, yellow card issued for the shirt pull, which is stopping a promising attack, which should have happened as well, by the way. Yeah, that's that's the the next one I was going to ask you because you could also turn around and make this a, a double yellow go the other way. Yeah, you could. I mean, yeah, I'm... so so you've got a yellow. It, had had you had a referee of that temperament, and there are them around the world. Um, Sobazai could have got a yellow for moving his arm backwards. You know, negligible force. It's unsporting behaviour. But then you've got the the shirt pull, which is stopping a promising attack, and then you could say that unsporting behaviour. Um, simulation maybe in order to simulate simulate we know as a word is dive so mm. in order for you to dive there's got to be no contact that is that is the provision for for a dive yeah. if there's any sort of contact it's not a dive you can you can overplay it um, and you can try and do something to get your opponent sent off or to penalize and that's what you could have been double yellow carded for i um, saw it in i think it was a championship in england last weekend two yellow cards uh, one for a foul, one for descent. You know, two hmm. yellow, uh, two yellows, a red. See you later. It does happen, um, and had that happened, um, I don't think anyone could have complained from either side. Um, but then, that is a real big decision for the referee to take. Um, not that he would shy, or he or she would shy away from that decision. Um, you you've got to make a decision within the games of temperament, how the game is. Does the game deserve a red card at that instant? No, it doesn't. For me. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Luckily for Leipzig, it didn't change um, the total um, result of the game. Um, and certainly, I do agree with you. The way they've not questioned it would would make me think that whilst they might not agree with it, they think their play has been daft. Well, yeah, because like, at the end of the day, Leipzig lost this or no, didn't lose, but it felt like a loss, I think, for them. They drew yeah. this game 2-2 because Guardiola scored an own goal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had this game under control, even with 10 men. Yeah. Um, and then gave away a really silly goal um, that ultimately cost them. You can you can say, okay, well, maybe the extra man on the pitch would have made a difference. But I think on a normal day, they win this game, even with the man down. So I don't actually think that that red card, although I do think, and we, this brings us back to the ability of reading the flow of a game. And, you know, this wasn't a game where temper was flaring. I mean, this was not one where you just have to stamp out an issue and send someone off. Like, I didn't get the sense that this game was that heated. This is not Liverpool, uh, Chelsea against Tottenham. You know, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <it's> not- <laughs> um, so I just thought it was all a little harsh and unnecessary. But yeah. Here we are. Um, Leipzig, of course, you know they they now have um, they're now in a situation where they've dropped four points in in two games, and they're playing catch up for for the rest of the season, and they're playing catch up to um, Bayern Munich and um, Chris Bayern Munich. I think all of us, and I was on this US tour uh, with them, and we asked every player who we were able to ask about how they're going to replace Robert Lewandowski and his goals. Um, I think they answered that question quite decisively, haven't they? Yeah, I think they have. uh, And they've answered it in a way by bringing in players um, and tactics that allow more than one person 
to score a goal. How many times over the past, I don't say five years, Mano, have we chatted that any injury to Robert Lewandowski mm-hmm. would derail Bayern because they don't have goals in other areas? Yeah. They've got that now. Um, obviously, Thomas Muller's always been able to score, but Gnabry scoring um, regularly. Uh, Musiala has really stepped up to the plate this season. Kimmich yeah. is scoring. Um, and obviously, Sadio Mane's come in. Um, and his off-the-ball movement is allowing space for the likes of Musiala and Gnabry to, to go and get those goals, um, and, and Muller as well, to some extent. Um, but Bayern have got... A, they've always had... They've always had quality players, but now more than ever, I think, especially in the Champions League, if you could man mark Robert Lewandowski out of the game, you pretty much could get a result against Bayern, whether that was a draw or whether you could sneak a 1-0 win. That that was your game plan. Um, stop yeah. the balls to Lewandowski, stop the goals, dead easy. Now, I don't think you can do that because the goals come from anywhere. So all of a sudden, opposition coaches have got a nightmare to plan against Um and I think we saw that in the opening game. Um, and I think we saw that in this game, although mm-hmm. Bayern are a lot better than Wolfsburg, so you would expect them to almost breeze past them. The test's going to be in the Champions League, but Bayern look frighteningly good now after losing their best goal scorer, maybe of all time. Yeah, it almost feels like they're freed of Robert Lewandowski. This sounds really harsh. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Robert Lewandowski is A, um, I always valued him as an interview partner, but also B, he's been, as you said, one of the best strikers that they ever had. And also maybe still is one of the best players in the world. But it's almost like they're freed of his, of the shackles of having to accommodate him. And I've been really taken away by the this four-man attack that they now have. Um, for me, Musiala has been the best player over the last four games. Um, the the goal he scored to open against Wolfsburg, that's a world-class goal. Chris, that's the sort of stuff Maradona did. Yeah. Like he was wrestled to the ground, <laughs> literally wrestled to the ground, gets up, there's six guys around him, and he finds the space from, what, 20 meters out to put it into, into the corner where the goalkeeper can't even get to it. I mean that's a, that's a world class goal. Yeah, he 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 was all he's always been good. I think since he burst onto the scene, and I know he's only young now, but when he was younger, he burst on, and everyone's like, "Oh, you know, he scored, remember scored in the Champions League very very early yeah. on, really good goal as well away from home, um, great player." But he's now stepping up to become a Bayern regular, operating at a high level, and. <laughs> He's bound to, isn't he? Look at who he's training with. Even if you take out the new signings, look who's been training with for the past two seasons. He's been training with world-class players. It rubs off on you eventually. Um, and that's how, under good coaches, which Julian Nagelsmann is, that's how players make the step up to the next level. They're, they're used to working with a, or they get used to working with a great coach in a great setup, surrounded by world-class players. It raises their game. Uh, and, and Musiala is now in that bracket of a quality player. Um, and unfortunately for the rest of the league, uh, I think Bayern now look more frightening without Robert Lewandowski. And I'd never have said that two years ago. Um, yeah. I think they now look better without him. And that's not me, you know, sour grapes in it because you know, I think he's left a league that I love and he's gone to La Liga. You know, good luck to him. I think he probably could have gone years ago to Real Madrid. Um, but I genuinely think sometimes it happens, a player leaves 
and everyone's like, this is going to be the worst thing for them ever. And actually it frees up the rest of the side. Um, and mm. look at look La Liga, look how much better Real Madrid are now without Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Look at who it's freed up. Benzema. Um, yeah, Benzema, right? of course. Yeah, I mean, he's the main one that's been freed up. But there's he's the star there, but there is no one star. They're of equal yeah. footing and it frees them all up. And I think that's what Bayern have turned into, which is exceptionally dangerous. It does give like other people, players, the room to breathe a little bit. If you look about, you look, you look at uh, Serge Gnabry, Musiala is a great example. I don't think Thomas. I mean, Mullen. sorry, sorry, man, he's cutting there. Serge Gnabry was pretty much looking out the door a couple of months ago, yeah. and now he's yeah. a critical part of, of this new Bayern um, transitional yeah. side that they've come up with. He, I, I genuinely thought he was going to go, and now he looks yeah. like he can't be replaced, and and that's perfect yeah. because um, that's what you want. You want a squad of of depth and and real class, and and they've got that now. Musiala and Mani have been getting a ton of the plow, like the, the applause, right? Obviously, Musiala being the young German talent, the phenom, and Mane being the shiny new signings. But I actually think that the gnabry Mane partnership up front, that's been looking really good. Um, yeah. And Gnabry is probably one of the big winners of Lewandowski leaving. Yeah, he has, because now he's got himself a forward partner who I know when we look at it, on paper, yeah. it, it's a, it's a forward too. But Mane, because of where he will play, I know Nagelsmann will want him to be positionally disciplined, but he will give mm. him the freedom to pull left, pull right, stay central, and, and that's what someone like Sadio Mane brings. Um, you know, originally just a, a left-sided forward at Liverpool um, has made that transition, so now he could play on the right side if Salah was injured, or he could go central um, if um, Firmino. Uh, had an issue and, and Bayern are reaping the rewards of that now. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's given Gnabry. He's a clever player. Gnabry always has been because mm. another winger by, by rights. So he knows where to run in different channels, not just a, a, a central striker, but you get a winger who can play in a central role. All of a sudden you've got a real um, problem for an opposition. And when you've got two of them, up front, they can just pull defenses left, right, and center. And, and you, the center backs will not know what's happening. And that's where center backs make an issue of themselves. They don't know whether to stay, they don't know whether to press, they don't know whether to tackle. And either they do nothing or they do all at once and give away a penalty. And, and that is, or a free kick. And that's what is happening um, when, when Bayern run at players with this four pronged attack. The quality has been incredible to watch. I mean, like, just being with them in preseason, then seeing them in the Super Cup and these, the first Bundesliga game in particular, it's just been, yeah, it's been um, a joy to watch. I don't think there's going to be many teams in Europe that are going to be anywhere close to them. Um, the one thing that stood out to me, and I, I was curious because you know Sadio Mane better than anyone I know. Um, he's been offside a lot. <laughs> <laughs> He had two offside goals taken away in the Super Cup. I think there was two against Frankfurt and then there was another two against uh, Wolfsburg. Yeah, I mean, so get used to that a bit. Um, as I say, for, for for anyone who's never heard me speak before, I'm born and bred in Liverpool. I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, yeah. So so it was a real loss for me personally to see Sadio Mane move. But obviously now he's moved to the Bundesliga. Great, because I get to see mm. him again. Um but yeah, he, he occasionally found himself offside because that's how he plays. He plays on the shoulder of the last defender. Um, and with VAR, 
you're looking at millimeters of error. Yeah. I mean that. Um, I think one of his goals he scored um, in the opening game. You know, he was marginally offside. The other one, he was a good yard. It's or close. So offside. They, they had yeah. to bring out. The, they had to literally bring out the ruler. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you'll. I I think you will find that. Um, but in I know we talked about Timo Werner, another player who found himself mm. offside a lot. But I think he finds himself offside through lack of concentration, Werner. I think Sadio Mane gets penalised because he plays high on the defender's shoulder. And sometimes that works for him and sometimes it works against him. Um, but Sadio Mane genuinely not, or generally not found offside by mistiming of a run as such. You're looking at millimetres for him. Um, yeah. But yeah, he will score a lot of goals. He'll create a lot of space for others to score a lot of goals. And he might be caught offside quite a bit. Yeah. No, it's 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 been great having here, and I I sense that he really it's probably because of his time in Salzburg. You know, the, the he seems to just gelled really quickly uh, at Bayern Munich, and um, it's also I think that there's there's a lot of parallels between Liverpool and Bayern in terms of the way the club is run and that, that familiar feel, right, Chris? It seems like he's just the perfect fit. Yeah, it does, and you know, a lot has come out in in. A lot has come out in public since he's left. He, he asked um, last the start of last season to to move on. Um, he was told he could at the end of the season. Um, so he is a he's a player that plays his best when he's happy. I think for his last half season at Liverpool, the first half season, he wasn't particularly happy, and that showed in his play. I think the second half of the season, he knew he had a genuine shot at maybe winning a historic four trophies. Um, mm. And his performances reflected that. I know a lot of people go on about Mohamed Salah, but for me, the second half of the season, Sadio Mane was a standout player for Liverpool. Um, and before that, when he was at his happiest, he is a really good player when he's happy. And he looks really happy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're quite right. He, he knows the culture. He knows the Germanic culture. In Austria and Germany, very, very similar. Same language yeah. for a start. Um, and Salzburg and Munich yeah. are very close, right? Yeah. So he would and, know that as well. Yeah, and so he will be in familiar surroundings. He's gone to, he's, you know, he's gone from a really big club to another really big club. Um, he's not, whilst he is the main attraction because he's a new sign-in, he's not the main star. He's found himself in a team of other, you know, world-class players, be it right at the back with Manuel Neuer, um, or be it with with his colleagues around him, like Thomas Muller, um, Kimmich as well, of course. Um, and then he's got new players to look after and and help mould, and he likes doing that. And he's got that with you know youngsters like Musiala um, and, and and the like. Um, but yeah, Bayern looked frightening with him. If you just look at the strength of the bench that started that game against Wolfsburg, mm. quite a lot of them, and I'll put Sven Ulreich in that, will 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 make their way into a lot of first teams. Yeah. Very good. Um, it's been fun having you back. It's been and great I- to be back. Thanks very much. <laughs> We're going to have this more regularly, I think, and probably also going to have a few shows with you and Stefan. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. So it'd be yeah. nice to speak to Stefan again because I because we never speak as a three, really. Do I've spoke to him on the phone plenty of times. I spoke to you on the phone plenty of times, but not as a three. Yeah, it's awesome. It's It just seems so... It fits like a glove um having you back on the show and it doesn't feel like it's been a year at all and this has been fascinating i love picking your brain over all this refereeing stuff so thanks so much again uh as always the show is brought to you by bet online and we'll be back with uh, our regular shows later this week until then 
Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.